Man, it is so good to be worshiping with you today. I want to say uh, hello to those of you watching online right now. This is our first time doing a, a live live stream, a live service online, so uh, glad to be able to. Everybody, do me a favor and just say hello to everybody online. Make sure you say it so they can hear. Hello. Hello. Man, it is fun to do this. Glad to be here. My name is uh, Pastor Kevin. If I haven't had the chance to greet you, I hope I have the opportunity uh, this morning. I am excited to, to worship with you. You know, when we look at the Bible, there's different ways for us to look at the Bible. There's one way for us to look at the Bible um, where we look at it religiously, where we look at the Bible and we think, man, that's an interesting book. It's interesting to see this history of how people used to relate with God a long time ago. It's really sad that they're related to God in that way. Aren't we glad that we don't do that? That's one way for us to look at the Bible. There's another way to look at the Bible that's probably a better way. When we look at the Bible, to look at it and to humbly read it and humbly see what we read. That means that when we look at the Bible humbly, we don't just look and see a, a book primarily telling us about how other people uh, related to God. It's actually a lens and a mirror into our own hearts and into our own lives. So we don't just read stories that describe other people. We read stories that help to describe our heart, help to describe the way that we live. Where it's not, the Bible is not, this is what used to happen, but the Bible is, this is what still happens today. The Bible is not the way that people used to act, the Bible is the way that people still act today. And we have to guard ourselves against having some pride to think we're so much better than those in the Bible. Reason I say this, and let me just ask this question, uh, how many of you, how many of you would say that you've wrestled with some of those why God questions in your life? Think about this. How many of you have been through seasons of your life where maybe you're going through a hardship, you're going through difficulty, you're going through things that are, are, are hard, and you have these why questions like, God, God, why do bad people succeed? How many of us have asked that question? Maybe you're looking at your situation and say, God, why don't you stop evil? God, why do you seem to bless everybody else except for me? God, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to honor you. I'm trying to, to, to give my life to you. But God, why do you seem to be blessing my ungodly friends when I'm the one trying to follow you and it feels like that? God, why can't I find a spouse? God, why can't uh, I have children? God, uh, why are my children walking away from their relationship with you? God, why aren't you protecting me from these financial problems? Why, why, why? How many of us have been in that situation of asking those questions? In fact, for me, my dad died when I was nine years old. And I've always wrestled with this idea, why? Why did my, God why did my dad have to die? In fact, I would look at all my friends growing up, and all my friends that would sit there and they'd, they'd complain about their dad, they'd complain about all these things, and I'm like, do you know how much I wish I had what you have? And you're just complaining, why, God? Why did my dad have to die? And these why questions, they go beyond the personal. We deal with it in the personalized, but it also goes out into, in general, into our world, right? Like, God, why don't you stop evil? In fact, I think about this. I think about all the, the school shootings that our country has endured. God, why don't you stop those things from happening? Certainly, God, you are capable and powerful. Why don't you do this? And then we look at where our country is right now with the incredible animosity in our country god how can you couldn't heal the divides in our country and then you look at this pandemic 
and the effects of the pandemic where you've got people that are struggling with fear. And because of that fear, they're self-isolating, they're, 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 they're trying to quarantine, and that comes with loneliness. God, why that? And then you deal with uh, people have lost their life. You deal with the economic challenges we're facing. God, why are we having to go through this thing? See, most of us in this room, if we're going to be honest, are going to say, yeah, I've had some of those questions. I've had some of those why God questions. But here's the good news. You and I, we aren't the first people to have these questions. These questions have been there since the beginning of mankind. In fact, the people in Malachi's day had these same questions. We've been in this series looking at the book of Malachi for the past couple of weeks. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you open your Bible, you might find the book of Matthew towards the middle. And you turn back a few pages, you'll find the book of Malachi. And really, the book of Malachi, you see these series of questions between the people of God and God. They're saying, God, why, why, why? Why this? And again, if we understand the, the situation that the people of Malachi were in, these are people who are struggling. They're struggling in so many areas of life. Economically, there had been a downturn, and they're struggling economically. They're struggling financially. They're struggling politically. They had lost the luster that they once had as, as a nation, and now they're struggling politically. I don't know, not only that, morally and spiritually, these people had seen this continual decline. And they're looking around, and they're saying, man, we're in a difficult spot. This is, is hard. And Malachi really just becomes a series of questions. Questions like this. They said, God, how have you loved us? And that's not necessarily much of a question. Maybe that's more of an accusation, right? You ever been there? Where you have a question that's really more an accusation. Why are you so stupid? That's not really a question. That's an accusation. How have you loved us, God? God, how have we despised your name? God, why don't you accept our offerings on the altar? These are the questions that the people of God are having towards him in Malachi's day. And we're going to see the climax of their questions today starting in chapter 2, verse 17, and ending in chapter 3, verse 6. And here's, here's how this text starts out. Malachi says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. I love this picture because we have this idea of the character of God. We know that God is omnipotent. He is, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He is inexhaustible. But here he says, You are exhausting me with your words. How many of you have a relationship like that? Maybe, maybe for you, that's the toddler when you're going on a, on a road trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I got to go potty. She hit me. You know that. Maybe you've got a relationship in your relationships where uh, that person, you know, they always want to keep talking about things and you'll talk about it and then they want to bring it up again and bring it up again. So many words. You've exhausted me with your words. Or maybe for you, you're like, hey, Pastor Kevin, let's just talk about you. You know, every week, so many words right he's exhausted with their words and so the people say well how we worried you with our words and malachi responds by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the lord and he delights in them or by asking where is the god of justice again in that statement god says hey hey there's here's the two reasons why you have weird me you've made these two questions towards me these two accusations against my character you said, number one, uh, why does it seem that everybody who does evil is good in the eyes of God? Why does it seem like all the bad people keep succeeding? They get blessed. They're, they're able to have a good life. Yet it seems like the people of God are struggling. 
That's number one. Why do the good people succeed? Why are they good in your eyes? And number two, where is the God of justice? Where is the God of justice? Again, I don't want us to read this historically about this is what happened with the people of God long ago. It's true. I want us to read this humbly. Because if we're going to be honest, there are some of us in this room, there are some of us watching online, and that is exactly where we are today. We're looking around and saying life is hard. We're hurting emotionally. We're struggling. We've got these issues in our relationships. We've got issues in our country. We've got financial problems. Maybe for you, maybe it's not just you. Maybe someone you love is hurting. And part of our humanity is to ask these questions that humans have asked forever. Why, God? Why, God? Don't you care, God? Or this is, this is one. This is one of those that sometimes we say, well, God, I'm good. I'm trying to follow you, and they're bad. So, God, we pray, God, would you give them justice? God, would you give them what they deserve, which is what the people of Malachi were trying to do as well. Now, here's the thing. When we sin, what do we want? We want love. When we sin, we want grace. But when other people sin, what do we want? Justice, right? That's what we do. We want, we want God to extend love to us, but then to someone who's hurt us, we want God to give them justice. Listen, do not pray for God's justice. Do not pray that God would give people what they deserve. Because every one of us listening today, whether in person or online, we are sinners. We all deserve the wrath of God. And if we pray and say, God, would you give us justice? Man, every one of us are going to be guilty before God. Every one of us. And so this is where the people of Malachi, this is, this is where they find themselves in their relationship with God. They're struggling. They're struggling. They're questioning the goodness of God. They're questioning the God of justice. And again, some of us, that's where we are right now. Some of us listening today, that's going to be where we are tomorrow or in the future. And most of us, this is where we have been in the past. No, I know there's some of you in here today, and you're like, well, I'm really spiritual. I would never ask those questions. Okay, I'll give you that, but you've thought them. You've thought them. This is what I love about the Bible. Because the Bible is almost written as if God overhears our thoughts. He overhears what's going on inside of our heart, and he knows when we struggle, and he knows how we struggle. He knows when we suffer, he knows how we suffer. He knows when things get hard. He knows when we're frustrated, when we're exhausted. He knows when things get difficult and we begin to doubt. See, God knows our hearts and our struggles. He knows our accusations, our, our, our questions, our struggles. He sees it. He hears it. He heard it in Malachi's day, and God still hears it in our day and age. And this is why God has given us the Bible to speak to those issues. He's given the Bible for us to speak to those issues where, where God addresses these real, serious, hard life questions. God's not afraid of these difficult questions. He's not afraid of these difficult conversations. He embraces them. In fact, he's given us his word to deal with those things specifically. So that's where we find ourselves. The people are asking these questions of God. And the question is, how is God going to answer them? Simply, he's going to point to Jesus. God's answer to the issue of our suffering is always going to point to Jesus. Here's what he says, chapter 3, verse 1. Behold. Anytime you see the word behold in your Bible, that's one word you want to understand. Something important is going to come. That, that's an a, a, a idea for you to pay attention. This is, this is going to be something for you to grab onto and listen to. 
He says, behold, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. All right, what's he talking about here? I mean, I hear that idea, sending a messenger to prepare the way for me. How many of you heard that term before? In fact, we see that in the, in the New Testament four different times, all in the Gospels. All in the Gospels, uh, he is pointing to John the Baptist. The, the messenger who prepares the way for God is John the Baptist. All the Gospel accounts point to, G, to John the Baptist being the one who prepares the way for Jesus. Now, if you know anything about John the Baptist, he was the original hipster, if I can say that. He wore clothing made out of camel hair. He ate, uh, uh, had a diet of bugs and honey. The original hipster. And as he comes on the scene, he preaches a message and said, listen, everybody, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Repent and be baptized and prepare your hearts for him. And as a result of this hipster and his message, man, people come in droves to be baptized. And there's a great ministry by John the Baptist until the day that Jesus comes to him. Jesus had been in obscurity. He'd been working with his stepdad uh, as a carpenter. And he comes and says, John, I need you to baptize me. And John says, I can't baptize you. I'm not worthy to, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoe. You need to baptize me. In fact, John the Baptist a little bit later says, "Uh, Jesus, you must increase and I must decrease. See, at that point, John the Baptist, his job was done. He had prepared the way for Jesus to come. And when Jesus comes onto the scene to be baptized, his ministry begins. And now that John the Baptist says, all right, I've done my part. I've prepared the way. It's almost as if if you ever watch a a track team. You've got the four runners and they've got the baton and they're running and they're running. And here's John the Baptist. He's running until Jesus comes. And then he hands the baton to Jesus and says, Jesus, you go now. I'm done. I've done my part. So that's, that's how he starts out. He says, behold, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way for me. That's John the Baptist. But there's someone else that God is going to send. He says again in verse 1, and the, Lord, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into the temple. Suddenly means that the people were surprised. It was a little bit unexpected. They didn't see what was coming. They didn't expect what was about to happen to actually happen. In fact, isn't that what happened when Jesus showed up? Didn't all the people struggle? Are you really the Messiah? We had something different in mind. We had a political savior. We had all these other things. Are you really the Messiah? You are not what I expected. But look, it continues. It says, the Lord whom you seek uh, will come suddenly into the temple, the messenger of the covenant from whom you delight. Behold, listen, he is coming. That means that when Jesus comes, as, as Jesus is his second messenger, He's saying he's going to bring a new covenant with him. A covenant that was prophesied in the Old Testament by Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah. That through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, God would deal with sin once and for all. That through what Jesus did, we could receive a new heart. That we could have a heart of flesh and remove our heart of stone. That we could have a new heart and a new spirit through what Jesus is going to accomplish on the cross. Again, here's the people suffering struggling, questioning, God, where are you? God, I I thought you loved us. I thought you had our back. And God's answer, he points to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. I know the question is, well, well, how is Jesus the answer? And and there's two things in this text that tell us as to why Jesus is the answer. Number one, uh, Jesus is the answer because he's going to come to redeem and and restore and and make things right and make us more like Jesus. Here's, Here's what it says, verse two. 
God says, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? That, again, talking to us, we're all guilty. We're all sinners. None of us could literally stand before God. But here's the good news. He comes like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He sits as a refiner and a purifier of silver and purify the songs of the Levites, refining them like gold and silver so they can bring offerings of sin and righteousness to God. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem and the people of God will be righteous to the Lord. See, what God does is he gives us a, a word picture. He gives us a picture. He says, imagine, imagine you go and you find some precious metals, some gold, some silver. Maybe you do some gold panning up in Alaska and get some gold. And what you have to do, oftentimes with that precious metals, there are impurities mixed in. So it's not pure. It's not, it's not as best as it could be. And so what you would do to separate the precious metals from the non-precious is you take that metal and you put it over fire. You put it over intense heat. And what happens is as that metal begins to melt, the, the good stuff, the, 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 the pure stuff, it drops down. And the impurities raise to the top. And the refiner then would take, uh, would take um, something and they'd skim off the impurities. They'd skim off the top. They'd skim off the bad parts. So just the good stuff is left. In fact, the idea was that way back in the Bible days, what they would do is as they'd put this uh, over the fire and the impurities would skim to the top, the refiner would scoop off the, the, the impurities and he'd look in. And if he could see his reflection, he knew it was done. But if he couldn't see his reflection, then he'd do it again and again and repeat the process again and again and again. So that refiner could look into that precious metal and once he could see his reflection, then he knew he had the good stuff, the pure stuff. And see what Malachi is saying? What Malachi is saying is my life and your life, our lives, we have sin. And we have character problems inside of us. We have bad habits and false beliefs and, and self-righteous assumptions. We have impurities inside of us. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to redeem those broken parts. Jesus wants to, to purify us, to help us reflect the God that we claim to serve and to love and to honor. And so those things, those, those impurities, they're revealed through Sometimes we cause the heat ourselves. We create problems in our lives. We create our own suffering. Sometimes uh, that heat comes from other people. Other people sin against us. They create issues for us, and then we have to deal with that. And sometimes the heat comes from Satan himself, as Satan attacks us and causes us to struggle and suffer. And this is, this is what God is trying to say through Malachi, is that Jesus is going to come, and he's going to redeem our impurities. He's going to change us. He's going to make us more like him, more like God. Now, let's just be honest. We don't like the heat. We don't like the heat. We back away from the heat. But we have to remember there's no purification without that heat. There's no purification without the heat. The second reason why uh, Jesus is the answer to our suffering and to our difficult problems is because when Jesus comes, he's going to come to judge. The first time Jesus comes, he's coming to bring redemption. He's coming to die on the cross. He's coming to send the Holy Spirit to, to redeem us, to, to remove our impurities. But the second time Jesus comes, he's going to come as a judge. That's what verse 5 says. Talking about the second coming of Jesus. He says, then I'll draw near for judgment. 
I'll be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress hired workers and wages, those who oppress the widows and the orphans and the sojourners. Uh, Those are all the uh, challenged people. Those who fear me, says the Lord. I will come as a witness against all of those people. Malachi gives us this, this list that's meant to be really broad and it narrows down. It starts with these big, bad, broad sins, you know, like sorcery. I don't know how many of us are into sorcery. But then it gets really narrow and really specific into these very minor things. Someone who doesn't fear the Lord. Someone who doesn't support those that are the greatest at risk. And what Malachi is saying is do not confuse God's delay as God's lack of just justice. There is coming a day when Jesus is going to return and he's going to bring justice. In fact, the Bible through the Apostle Peter says, uh, God is not slow as some of us would think, but he is patient so that he can save people because he does not, anyone, does not want anyone to perish. God is coming a second time and he's going to bring judgment, but he's gracious in his timing because he wants more people to hear about him, to hear about what Jesus did on the cross so they can be redeemed and forgiven. But we need to rest assured there's absolutely a day coming when, when unrepentant sinners are going to be dealt with decisively. They're going to experience a fire, not a fire of refinement, not a fire that makes them better. They're going to experience a fire of judgment that causes them to experience misery forever. Here's, here's the truth of what this passage is saying to us today. Is every one of us, every one of us, We all will sit over a flame. We can sit under the flame now in the love of God to become more like Jesus, or we can sit under the flame in the future to sit forever under the wrath of God for the penalty of sin. Fire is a part of our life. Which fire do you choose? Listen, here's here's the gist of this passage. Here's what this passage is trying to teach us into our lives today. That when we are in that season of struggling and hardship, and difficulty, and we have those, those questions that we're feeling. God, I don't get it. God, I don't understand. God, how, why, where are you? And we will answers. Listen, Jesus may not answer all of our specific questions, but, but God does answer. He answers with his presence. He answers with the presence of Jesus. That God's answer to our suffering and our hardship and our life and in our world, God's answer is the grace and the justice that is found in Jesus Christ. That is what God does when he says, I recognize you're struggling and suffering. Let me give you the best I can do. It's not a pet answer. It's my presence. It's my son, Jesus Christ. Again, this is where theologically and biblically we can understand that. Jesus is the answer. But what does that look like practically? How do we practically have the presence of Jesus to make our suffering a little bit better? How do we suffer well? This is where Jesus gets practical, and there's three ways for how we suffer well. Number one, we have to know that God is with us. We have to know that God is with us. This great God, he answers the issue of our suffering with the presence of God. And this may be the key to the whole idea of suffering. Look what, look what he says in verse 6. God says, I, the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, the children of God will not be consumed. Two things within that. God just said, I do not change. 
means I'm the same today and yesterday and forever. That I don't change my opinions. I don't change how I feel about you. I'm not, I'm not okay with you one day and not okay with you the next day. God doesn't break his promises. So when God says something to us, it's truth. And we can hold on to it. We know it's true. He doesn't change. He doesn't lie. And secondly, he just said that as the children of God, as the people of God, we will not be consumed. Again, he's writing to Christians, to, to believers, to the people of God. And this is such a huge reminder that in the middle of, of, of suffering, in the middle of, middle of difficulty, when we're not sure how we're going to make it through, God gives us this promise, you will not be consumed. God is with you. God is protecting you. God is carrying you. In fact, do you know what the number one command in the Bible is? Number one command in the Bible. Over 150 times, we will read God say to us, fear not. Fear not. That is the number one command in the Bible. Almost every time that we read fear not in the Bible, it is always paired, almost always paired with this. Fear not because I am with you. He doesn't say fear not because I'm going to give you all the answers to your questions. That's not what he says. He says, fear not because I am with you. You know the only thing that's worse than suffering? Is suffering alone. Sometimes in our suffering we need a counselor, but most of the time we need a comforter. That's found in Jesus. And God says, listen, when you're struggling, when you're suffering, you need to know, you need to know I'm with you. You're not alone. This isn't going to consume you. I got you. It may be overwhelming, but this is where you have to learn to put your faith and trust in me. Second practical point on how to suffer well is to trust that God is at work in our lives. Trust that God is at work in our lives. Isn't that what Malachi was trying to say to us? Isn't what Malachi is trying to say? Is that through the heat and through the fire, God has a purpose. That God is redeeming us. That God is changing us. He's causing us to be more godly. He's causing us to be more like him. So we've got to trust that God is at work in our lives even when we don't feel it. Even when we don't always see it. In fact, you know what faith is? Faith is this. Faith is hope in the things that are not seen. Faith is hope in the things that are not certain. So we, if we ever get to the point in our life we're like, man, I see how it all plays out. I got this. That's not faith. You can't have faith in something that you know the certainty of. Faith is a trust in God. A trust in the things that we don't know. That's where in Romans chapter 8, 28, the apostle Paul says, uh, says that we know that all things work for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Which means that in the middle of whatever we're going through, we can trust that God is working things out for our good and for his glory. We may not understand it, we may not feel it, but we've got to have faith and trust that God is working things out in our lives. Finally, number three. Actually, let me come back to that for a second. Just real practically in how you grow in your faith and trust in God in the middle of suffering. One of the things I've tried to wrestle through personally to grow my trust in God is to discipline myself when I begin to feel myself wanting to ask one of those why questions. When I begin wanting to ask a why question, I want to change that to asking a how question. So instead of why God, why is this happening? God, I don't understand this. I want to ask God, how are you going to use this in my life? God, what do you want to change in me? 
God, I'm going through this, and instead of doubting your presence, God, what is it you're trying to accomplish in my life? How are we going to use this for good? What are you, God, preparing me for? God, how are we going to use this in my life for me to encourage someone else? God, what are you doing right now that's going to help me out in the future? Where instead of asking those why questions, it's how, God. How are you going to use this? How are you going to be present and redeem this? Finally, number three, third practical point on how to suffer well is do not suffer alone. In fact, I'd say that Satan's top technique for us is to isolate us. If he can get us where we think we're all alone, we think our situation is, is one of a kind, we think nobody understands us, and we seclude ourselves from one another, man, that's when Satan has his heyday in our hearts and in our lives. It is a lie that so many of us believe when Satan says, you're all alone, nobody understands what you're going through, nobody cares. Listen, as Christians, we are saved individually by God. We are saved individually, but the Bible constantly talks about us as Christians being called, being saved into the family of God. He, he calls us into uh, one body, that we are adopted as his children, as brothers and sisters together, that we belong together as a family. In fact, in my Bible reading plan right now, I've, I'm reading through the book of Acts. And I'm so, every time I read the book of Acts, I love it. Because it seems that the success and the growth of the church centered on Christians being devoted to one another. Christians inviting each other's into each other's lives. Sharing burdens with one another. Building one another up. Walking through life with them. Loving them when they need it. Holding them accountable when they're needing it. And sometimes just sitting there and crying and holding someone's hand when they need it. Listen, the reality is whatever you're facing, do not do life alone. God has put brothers and sisters in Christ Many of them who may not have been through your specific scenario, they've been through similar scenarios. And they are there to walk through you, to encourage you, to not to walk through you, to walk through that with you. That would be bad to walk through you. They're there to walk through it with you, to encourage you along the way, to support you, to pray for you, so that you don't have to suffer alone. But there's this beautiful thing called the body of Christ, the family of God, and that's where I just think about right now where we are in our world. No matter what's happening in your world, listen, we need the church. We need one another. Whatever our future holds politically, whatever your future holds financially, whatever your relationship begins to look like, whatever the pandemic does to us, we need one another. If we're going to endure and see God make us what he has called us to be, we need one another. Just come back to that simple idea. Simple idea that I think God wants, to hear, wants us to hear. That God's answer to our suffering and our struggles and our hardship is not an answer with pat questions and cliche answers to all your problems. Simply God's answer is the presence of Jesus. So I invite us now to, to lean in. To lean into the presence of Jesus with us right now. I believe Jesus is here in this room. He, he, he's with you in your home as you're watching this video. And let's just lean into the presence of God. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to come before you today and say, God, I don't know what everybody has going on in their life. I don't know the, the, the weight they're dealing with today. I don't know how their week has been. 
But God, what I do know is you are sovereign. What I do know, God, is that you have not left us alone. God is a God who does not change. You've given us that promise to never leave us nor forsake us. Which means today, no matter what we're facing, you are with us in the middle of it. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that you are with us today. And I pray, Lord, that someone listening would just be encouraged with that reminder. They're not alone. God, you've given them your presence through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us today in that. Help us to know that, God, you are doing things in our heart and in our lives so that we would become more like you, so that our faith would grow, and we'd have a stronger faith and trust in you, knowing, God, that you're working things out for our good and for your glory. We may not understand it, but, God, you are still present and working. So right now, I just pray that we would be able to lift our voices and cry out to you. That's where you are today. I pray that you just be able to be honest with God. God, this is where I'm at. I need you. I don't understand this. I need to feel your love and your presence. I need to know you're with me. And I pray, Lord, that you would send that message with a resounding feeling today. Lord, I pray for those of us that have been through some stuff, that we'd look around at one another and say, how can I walk through life with this person? How can I support someone else? God, you've called me to be a part of this family. God, I pray that we would be able to lift our voices and lift your name high because you are worthy of all honor and glory. So Lord, I pray that your spirit would rest rest on us now as we respond to your word through worship. We love you, Jesus, and we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.